In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Men, have you ever met anyone who refused to go all in for Jesus because they said that would make them less of a man? Maybe you're that man. Maybe you're hesitant to go all in because you're afraid that Christianity will make you less of a man. Boy, are you wrong. Jesus will make you more of a man than you ever could have been without him. Find out why, find out how. Stay tuned. Man of the Arena Army. We salute you. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. This is Spotify's number one podcast for Christian men. I'm Jim Ramos, your host and guide for today's show, leading you even while in that stress bubble of life, raising your kids, loving your bride, impacting your community, helping you to thrive in that stress bubble and beyond. So welcome to today's podcast. Hey, guys, I want to share with you. uh, First of all, I want to give you a little quiz. I am wearing a shirt that's covered by the mic, and if you can identify what shirt I'm wearing, maybe we'll hit you up with some swag. So make sure you uh, send us an email, hit us up with the comments, uh, do whatever you need to do to let us know what you think this shirt is, and uh, maybe we'll send you some swag, all right? So I want to start with today's hero story of the week. This hero story comes all the way from the logging country up in Canada. Jake McKay wrote in, and I I love this. Listen to how he started this, this email. It was a long email. I cut it way down, but he said this. I, too, started doing the push-up challenge, but yes, I was a quitter. Now, I love it when a guy just falls on the sword. No excuses, no lies, no hesitation. Just drop just drop the bomb and move on. Man, I appreciate that so much. He continues, I've been listening to you while I drive hauling logs, and I also share my faith with a lot of the other logging truck guys. I thank God for how your ministry has impacted my life. I appreciate what you do, and I will be praying for your ministry. God bless you. Man, Jake, thanks so much for praying for this ministry. Man, we're trying to reach a a nation full of men who are hesitant, stubborn, living in a culture that discounts and uh, minimalizes and marginalizes men. We need all the prayers we can get, brother, so thank you so much. Make sure you hit us up at info at manarena.org with your physical address. We will send you some swag. You guys, I'm excited to bring uh, today's guest on the show, my friend Brian Van Cleve. Brian Van Cleve is a minister of the gospel for the last 40 years while working as a middle school teacher as well. Brian's an accomplished guitarist and a not-so-accomplished golfer, So, which I guess I would say I'm worse than not accomplished as a golfer. Uh, Brian and his bride, Robin, have been married for 44 years. They live in my hometown, McMinnville, Oregon. Brian is the author of the book, Jesus, a man's man, which is our subject for today. Brian and I also have coached some years of middle school football together. So, Brian, it's great to have you on the show, man. Thank you, Jim. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. When I saw the book, I thought, well, this is a great title. What a great title for a book. Why? I never thought of the title. So because you thought of the title <laughs> before me, I thought, I got to bring this guy on the podcast. He deserves to be on. So, But before we jump into the book, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your story and, and what makes you tick? Well, sure. Um, well, you mentioned that I've uh, been a pastor for uh, over 50 years, I guess, somewhere around there. I started as a youth pastor in San Diego and and continued to move north. My dad said if I kept moving north, I was going to wind up in Alaska, but I planted in McMinnville and uh, senior pastored the McMinnville Foursquare Church for 25 years here. Wow. And uh, then uh, retired in 2018 um, from Dunaway and uh, bivocational. Um, have uh, my lovely wife. We have a great marriage and, and home. Uh, two, three grown children and eight grandchildren. So um, I guess that's uh, 
that's pretty much who I am. Uh, love Jesus, keep following him. And now he's kind of moved me into uh, writing, writing. So we'll see uh, how that goes. Well, that's cool, Matt. So I got to tell you this. I was in Indiana last weekend speaking at a church. And then uh, a friend of mine out there said, hey, I want to take you on a turkey hunt. So I went turkey hunting with this guy. And this guy is a six foot nine, 365 pounds. And wow. if, if you've ever seen something interesting in a tree stand, that is it. <laughs> but the thing that impressed me about this guy is he is a scratch golfer. Wow. So, wow. I, I mean, so when I think of a, I mean, you would never know, look at Adam, right? right. So how, 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 how good or bad of a golfer are you? Well, um, I, uh, this year I've been shooting in the upper eighties. <clears throat> so I only started about uh, 10 years ago. Oh, so you're and pretty new. Okay. So unfortunately I didn't have my youth to, uh, to master the craft, but, but yeah, I'm, I've, uh, gone down and down and down. I'm, I'm probably averaging right at that, uh, you know, 90 ish mark. That's my average. And, um, and so, and that's without extra shots and, and yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And mulligans. And <laughs> well, hey, that's the cool thing, I guess, about golf. Golf to me is a, the most frustrating sport in the world. And so, I tell people, any birdies I get, I'm going to shoot them out of the air. So, uh, I, I I really envy my uh, golfing brothers because they have a lot more patience than me. So, uh, God bless you on the game. So, hey, I want to jump into your uh, your well, book. I wanted to tell you real yeah. quick. Uh, I haven't. I just finished a second book. Oh, and it'll be called out of the wilderness. Um, TBN has picked it up and uh, their trilogy publishing, but I have a chapter in there called uh, uh, discontentment. And so I, I say that uh, golfers are the most discontented uh, people on the planet. So that's, oh uh, man, I can only imagine <laughs> that. I can only imagine. So your book, so your book, a man's man, Yes. Uh, what a great title. I guess my question is why, why this subject and then why the title? Well, uh, that's actually kind of easy. That's easy question. I felt like it came directly from Jesus, directly mm. from the throne. And, um, you know, you and I talked about it. It was about the same time frame that you felt men uh, and, and their position mm -hmm. uh, was being undermined by our entire culture and yeah. society. And I felt like Jesus said, write a book specifically to men dealing with the fact that it, it's not a pansy. It's not a, it's not a sissy thing. It's not um, uh, to follow Jesus. It's actually a very manly thing. And uh, it takes commitment. It takes discipline. It takes hard work to follow Jesus and to live by his standards. And so it, the, the, the title came just as easily as a topic uh, that, Jesus is a man's man. He he was a man, a strong man. And, you know, I talk about that one of the chapters with uh, dying on the cross and, and what he went through. Um, I know me, I wouldn't have made it. <laughs> you know, yeah, for he, sure. He took that persecution and and kept on, you know, chugging till the the uh, the finish line. And so uh, so that's that's how the inception of this happened. Uh, but it took a long time to finish it. So I, I kind of life kind of got in the way. And um, it wasn't until I retired that I felt like the Lord said, mm -hmm. finish it. And, and, uh, and so that's why it, it started in about 212, 213 and uh, finished uh, last year. Um, interesting thing too, Jim, about the picture on here. I don't know if you can see it there, but um, that picture I actually drew. Oh, wow. Uh, for a summer camp, when I was directing kids at camp, I did a summer camp called Hearts on Fire and uh, drew the picture and thought, that's that's it. That's the cover photo. Well, when I sent it in to the publisher, they they did that CG art. And when they sent it back to me, I almost started crying. I just it just was I couldn't. Uh, 
I couldn't have had a better cover. So anyway, so sorry for taking all the, no, well, <laughs> Hey, this interview, you're, you're the, somewhere. Hey, I'm interviewing you. So talk all you want. Well, yeah, I, I, I just appreciate that you got the book done. I love the title and uh, most first time books guys write about their story and it's like a memoir. And I'm like, I don't know to tell you, bro, but people don't care about your story. They care about their story. And, and you did not do that in this. You, you kept it right on task where you needed to be. And I appreciate that. You know, uh, when I gave my life to Christ, I had many people in my life tell me that that was a crutch and that was a weakness. And I, I looking back now, I would disagree. I would say it was more like a stretcher. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm like, I, you know, I'm like, man, I just carry me, you know, type of thing. That's but, right. it's, but here's what I've learned. I've been following Jesus for, I don't know, 35 years now, and he's never disappointed. But what I've learned is weak minded men don't follow Jesus for long. Yeah. Christianity is not for the weak at heart. It is the strongest men I know are believers because our I, we live in a culture that says, oh, keep prayer in school, keep this and this. We want our rights. And I'm like, well, I'm, and I, I look at that and I go, you know, I'm not sure I agree with that because we as Christians have always been in the minority. We've always been persecuted. And I think it was Tertullian who said, that the blood of the martyrs is the seat of the church. And so I've always thought we need to be strong to handle persecution and martyrdom for the cause of Christ. And so I have found that, that the strongest men I know follow Jesus and some of the weakest men I know do not. And right. so I want to start with this question because you, you said this in your book. You said, quote, men have a difficult time receiving Jesus because of the American portrayal of him. And you mentioned that earlier, and you said that we are undermining masculinity. You continued, you said, also, there is a perception in the world that Christianity is for women and wimps, that following Jesus is for the weak, and Christianity is a crutch, when in reality, it's just the opposite. And so when I look at being a man's man, I think the first thing a man does to really become a man's man is to follow Jesus. So can you explain your quote and why? following Christ is the vital component to becoming a man's man. Right. I've heard, and I guess I've been told that too, that uh, following Jesus is, you know, you, you need a crutch and, and I would fight against it and then think, no, you're, you're right. I am limping along here. It, it takes work to do this. And what came to mind too, was the kind of, the pictures I would see of Jesus as a mm -hmm. kid, a kid growing up. And I always thought he, uh, he always looked so uh, well, he is gentle and meek, but I felt like it, it lost that, that power of, of who he was. He, he looked like he was about ready to cry all the time. And, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it just misses that the, the strength that he had and the and the composure uh, uh, clearing the temple and and um going to the cross and uh standing up to the pharisees that was not a weak man that's what i was trying to unpack that society has kind of painted it as um that that guys can't stand up and follow jesus if we do we're some kind of wimp and mm -hmm. and so that's where i headed with that well i appreciate that you know you talked about meekness and in our culture we we view meekness as weakness and so i had a guy tell me jesus never got angry jesus is meek and mild just like you said and i said he's meek but not mild <laughs> i mean i don't know where you know the word meek in the Bible, the original Greek word, it, it, it's a picture of a stallion with a bridle. It's power under control. And so you mentioned the temple. So I think, well, let me ask this question. I'm going to go back to this. So there are a lot of guys out there that are not Christian guys that are high, high, high flyers that have way more impact and influence than you and I. In fact, I've got a book of one of those guys, and I won't mention his name, sitting in my truck right now. I spent 25 bucks to buy this book. This guy's not a Christian, but man, it's a great book on uh, mental toughness. Let's just say that. Okay. What would you say to these guys out there that don't follow Jesus who go, hey, listen, you're saying that this is the first thing you need to do to be a man's man, but I disagree. I don't think it is at all. How would you argue that point? 
That's kind of a tough question. Um, you know, the bottom line is that uh, that we are empty without Jesus, that we are created with a, a void. We're created with a, a need to be in relationship with our creator. And Jesus spanned that gap on the cross. He he brought us into right relationship with God. So I can stand up as a man and I can be a pretty good man. Uh, and I, I can be a wonderful parent, father, leader, a strong athlete, whatever. But I am empty mm -hmm. without Jesus. And that void cannot be filled with any of those other things. And, and so uh, I will be doing it only in my own strength and uh, my own morals and values uh, instead of what our creator wanted us to live by and, and be the kind of man he created us to be. Well, that's really interesting. And I, I love that. The kind of man he created us to be so there are guys out there that are that have way more capacity than me and i, I hate to admit it it's just true there's yeah. always a bigger dog right yeah but what i what i've discovered is this is that if god created me as you said brian and if god no creator hates his creation so if god created me therefore god loves me and whenever somebody creates something they create it for a purpose right you wrote this book for a purpose so god created me god loves me he has a purpose for me and it leads me to the next logical question, then how can I ever walk in the full capacity of that man God created without radical devotion to him? And that's the difference, right? That's what you're saying. Yeah, you're exactly. saying if without Jesus, you may be a great man. You may be a famous man. You may be a president. You may be a you may have a million followers on Instagram. You may write a book that sells a million copies, but without Jesus, you're not the man you're called to be because he made you. And at the end of the day, you're going to give yourself the credit for what God did. So, yeah, yeah that's I, that's the, I resonate with that point because Jesus in Revelation 22, 16, we I hear a lot of talk in the circles I run and you hear a lot of this alpha male, alpha this, alpha that. Right. But right. Jesus said, I am the alpha yeah, and the <laughs> omega, you know, so so, so anyway, well, so your next point you make on your second point you make on becoming a man's man is a little controversial. Uh, I had an argument with a guy. In fact, uh, we can put it in our show notes. The guy's name is Hal Perkins. And Hal said, Jesus never got angry. Oh, And I said, well, I can tell you three times in the Bible when he did. Once he was indignant about the children. Twice. Second time was the temple. And the third time he was angry at the disciples for being uh, having no faith. Yep. And these are all times the Bible says he was angry or indignant. You share about the temple court and something that happened in the temple court. And so I want to, I want to give you my second point, but I want you to put it into context. So, cause okay. I don't want, cause the second thing is a, a man's man gets angry, but, right. but we can't leave it there. So bail, bail me out, Brian, bail me out. <laughs> what happened in the temple and Jesus with Jesus anger? Well, I tried to unpack the difference between godly anger mm and and uh human anger um ungodly anger and and um that uh it's a righteous anger a righteous anger with with injustice oh, yes uh, motivated by the spirit of god mm -hmm. and and we must be righteously angry uh, i know i quoted randy stonehill uh, god's looking for some angry young men and <laughs> jesus came into the temple and saw that his kids were being abused within the system of relationship to god so the sacrificial system was being uh, adulterated mm -hmm. by the leaders of the church, by the scribes and Pharisees. And uh, the people were not only being uh, led astray, but they're being ripped off by the money changers. Yep. And, I, and I go into detail that they had to have a, because of the Old Testament system, they had to have a perfect lamb or or animal. Uh, 
and therefore the the uh, priests and Pharisees had turned that into, um, yeah, you're right, but we're going to inspect it first, make sure it's perfect. Well, of course, none of them were perfect, so they'd have to buy a temple animal. And then they'd have to exchange their money from whatever uh, area they had come from and buy it and get a temple coin to buy that sacrifice. So they were, they're being extorted uh, doubly just to come and sacrifice to the Lord and, and meet the Lord. So Jesus saw this and it frustrated, it frustrated him. It angered him. They were turning his father's house into a den of thieves. And I, I believe in his righteous anger, and I don't know, but it says he took cords and he weaved them together and made a whip. And I believe, I don't believe he had them in his pocket. Nope. <laughs> I believe he left the temple court. We don't have record of this, but I, I just, I like to get kind of weird that way, yeah. you know, and, and uh, I believe he went and he wove that whip together and came back to the temple and then began to flip over tables and crack that whip and scatter animals and, and establish. A, and, and so I see that as a difference between man's anger oftentimes is responsive. It, 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 it happens and we, uh, but righteous anger uh, is something that's deep within us and it's controlled. Man's anger is out of control, but God's anger is, in control. So that that's what the point I was trying to make uh, in that chapter, that we need to be angry men. We need to be angry at injustice and people going to hell. That should anger us. And we have an enemy dragging people down to a Christless eternity. That should anger us, not just hurt us, but anger us. Um, no, you're, you're not going to do that to my friends and loved ones. So, so that was the point of, of, uh, being angry, uh, that I was trying to get across. Well, I, you, I love what you said. I, you, you, Cause when you read it, you just go, Oh, he got it. He got the whip, but then you wrote, and I love this. He took the time to make a whip whip making takes conscious effort. Then you said, I must purposely move from a place of rage to a place of calm because whip making takes time. When we are faced with a situation that causes us to get angry, we must take the time to resolve the issue. And I was at a, we had our staff Christmas party a couple weeks ago and I, I walked into the restaurant. We didn't, we didn't know we picked this restaurant. We thought it'd be a nice place to eat. And I walked in and behind me was a black lives matter flag and a, a pride flag. And I got angry. Yeah. And, and they were like, well, why are you angry? And I said, well, I'm angry because that's like putting a Muslim flag in a Christian church. Yeah, that is the religion of intersectionality. And I totally disagree with it. And so for me, you know, and then Titus in first Timothy three, Paul lists the qualifications of a leader. And one of those is just, and then Job in Job 29, he lists nine qualifications of a, of a godly man. And, and that one of those is enforcer of justice. And so I think that, uh, I love your point that the righteous anger is what drives a man who sees injustice. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not, I don't, I'm not sitting here right now saying, I think, you know, um, I'm not sitting here saying I'm anti uh, that I should, that we should treat people differently based on their sexual choices or whatever. I'm saying that any system that purposely denigrates Christianity, I'm going to be opposed to viciously. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying I, I don't like, you know, this or that I'm saying those things stand for people that I, uh, or systems that are not godly. And so that that's what I'm talking about. And so we, as men have to stand up and get angry about those things yeah. like you're and the, but take the time to make the whip. Yeah. Yeah. So that I, I just want to draw that out because I don't want you know people to crucify me because of what I just said, but I mean I'm okay being crucified. Just crucify me for the right reasons, right? So right. Number, <laughs> number three, number three, and this is really good because you know you'll t- lay out this anger thing because anger can sometimes come across as arrogance or pride. But number three is be humble. And then you said in your book, you said in a relationship, whether it be Jesus or others. We must be willing to admit when we're wrong. 
we must also repent of the sin and ask for forgiveness. So what so in Brian, in your in your understanding, what is humility and why is it so important for a man on the journey to become a man's man to walk in this weird and strange word called humility? Humility is uh it's recognizing that I don't have and never will have all the answers. Yeah. I often say, and when I was preaching regularly, I would often say the closer I got to Jesus, the more I realized how far away I was Mm. because we we're not called to walk in our own righteousness. We're to, called to walk in the righteousness of God. Uh, when we harmatia sin, we miss the mark, not yeah. of society or morals, but of God's perfect mark. Um, that perfect holiness, we can never hit a bullseye. And what that should cause in us is, is humility. Yeah. I, I don't have all the answers and I never will. Uh, but I know who does. And so because of that, I can admit when I'm wrong, I can, I can, it's not easy, but I can, (laughs) it sometimes (laughs) takes me time. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I, uh, I, I had an episode. In fact, this is interesting. I had an episode just this season for football and, uh, it was an away game and I, uh, we didn't have room on the bus, so I had to drive. And I, well, I won't go into all the details, but I, I didn't stick around. I left my assistants to monitor those middle schoolers at a second game and ride home on the bus. And I went home early. Uh-huh. Now, I had reasons behind that. And I had good reasons behind that. I wasn't feeling well, but I, I won't go into that. But another coach kind of kind of confronted me on it. And um, I was... At first I was, uh, well, and, and I knew all my reasons, but I realized, yeah, that I was wrong. Whatever my reasons were, I was wrong. And uh, so I apologized to the coach. I humbled myself mm-hmm. and apologized to my assistants for being arrogant <laughs> and being and taking. And I think what, what pride, because Pride is the opposite of humility. And so uh, pride is putting ourselves as most important. Uh, The Mm -hmm, Bible mm -hmm. tells us to rate others as more important than ourselves. So when we are the, where the, when the universe revolves around us, we will be prideful. When we recognize the universe revolves around God, then we will find humility and and walk in that that humility and typically that's through being humbled <laughs> so. yeah you, you a, a personal a guy that you and i both knew mike Iaconelli, said it takes a lot of humil- humiliation to make a little bit of humility <laughs> that's right that's right that's well, right. So, so you quoted philippians chapter 2 uh in your discourse there and it thought i thought of c.s lewis who said humility is not thinking of is not thinking less of yourself it's thinking of yourself less so i do agree that there's a part of humility that's that's admitting when we're wrong you know talk about this other part of humility that's kind of a negative side of humility hey i was wrong i'm sorry but what positively talk about serving others in regards to humility well that uh that's recognizing in order to do that, we have to recognize the importance of other people and uh, their value and that they are, whether they know Jesus or not, they're at this point, they're still a child of God. God loves them and desires them to be in relationship with them. And so we we need to walk in a place where we recognize everything we say and especially what we do mm-hmm. uh, reaches those people with the love of Jesus walking in humility is, is setting my, my uh, 
my personal needs aside and my uh, opinions aside and, and, uh, and uh, looking at them in the mirror of how can I love this other person? How can I uh, share Jesus's love with them? Um, and uh, what do they need? Uh, and, and I see that as, as walking with humility, it's placing others as uh, in the front of the line <laughs> and then mm. looking at what they need. You know, that uh, many people say it is, you know, walking in another man's shoes or another man's moccasins. It's kind of that it's kind of um, how can I, how can I reach this person? We, we want to just jump in and start preaching. And especially as preachers, you know, but, <laughs> but yeah. we're going to do a lot more by serving them. As, as Jesus said, uh, if you want to be greatest in the kingdom, then you have to be the servant of all. And in order to be a servant, you have to humble yourself and walk in humility as a servant. I don't know if that answered it, but that's kind of, no, that's, that's, well, you know, I had a, I was in Indiana this weekend speaking to the church. And one of the elders of the church said, Hey, I want to take you turkey hunting. I'd never killed an Eastern turkey, which is a different species of turkey than we have here in the West, the Miriam turkeys. So I flew into Indiana. He drove an hour. He picked me up. He drove me back to his cabin, refused gas money, refused, bought me food all weekend long, drove me back, cleaned the bird I shot. He wouldn't let me clean my own bird. Like wow. I want to do, I, finally, he let me. Finally, he let me buy him dinner to say thank you, but he wasn't doing it out of pride. He was just like, hey, you're my guest, and I want to take care of you. Right. It was a true spirit of humility, and I thought that was so good. But I, And you've said some things, and I think humility, which is our third point of being a man's man, really flows into number four, which is loving people. Yeah. Now, you know, I, you know I, I don't like the BLM flag. I don't like the pride flag. But because those stand for systems I disagree with, I don't like the Confederate flag. Right. But, man, I'll tell you what, I got to love every, I'm going to love those people. In fact, Billy Graham one time was asked by Oprah Winfrey, what would he do if he had a son who, or a child that was a homosexual? And Billy Graham just snapped right back. He said, oh, I'd love him more. Yeah. And so yeah. we live in a world that's, uh, I'm a little, little bit alarmed by the church, Brian, uh, we live in a world where the church, said, I, I, a lot of believers I run to say, hey, if you listen to this news channel and not this, I won't like you. If you you know, took this vaccine and not this, I won't like you. If you uh, have this sexual tendency and not this, I won't like you. If you voted for this president and not this president, I won't like you. And to me, that just seems antithetical to Jesus. Yeah. You know, yeah. so and you, you talked about Peter's growth. And you said this, and I really appreciated this. You said love was beginning to mature as Peter died from his selfishness. And then you continued his self-reliance had taken a fatal blow. So you have selfishness and self-reliance in the same sentence. How do those things hinder us from loving all people the way Jesus did? Well, we, we are, um, we are selfish. You know, we we were, uh, born into sin and yeah. we, we place ourselves, uh, and we are selfish and we're, we'll fight that the rest of our life because I want to watch this TV show and I want to <laughs> sit in a lazy boy and I don't want people talking to me. And, uh, and when they have a need and do, um, or the phone rings, it's annoying. And my selfishness <laughs> rises up and, I, and uh, it, it's there. It's it, and it, it and so we have to continue to overcome that selfishness in order to love other people. Yeah. We have to again, like I said, we have to place them uh, in a place where they are more important than self. Um, self reliance. I think Peter was the leader of the apostles that's you know of the disciples and and he he was looked up to and he was the loudest and i think he was the funniest and yeah. and i think he had a sense of humor and we don't see a lot of that in scripture but i think people like to be around peter yeah and uh which put him on a platform 
of the guy in charge. And uh, and then that creates a self-reliance. Uh, I'm, I'm in charge. People look up to me. I'm walking this way. So here we go. Let's do this. Let's do that. Uh, and Jesus wanted to show him that the reliance must be on Jesus. It, it are we it can't be self-reliance it has to be god reliance mm-hmm. and when i rely on him uh for my strength for my direction for what i say and do then i begin to get his eternal perspective of what is really important and um and i have to die to myself in order to accomplish that and and so loving people some people are easy to love like you said <laughs> others are not and oh, i thought you're gonna say people are easy to love like you and i'm like <laughs> oh thank you <laughs> like you Jim. Yeah, sorry but you sorry. didn't say that so continue i apologize <laughs> Well, I did enjoy coaching with you. Uh, and so <laughs> my and, wife, uh, might disagree with the like you part. <laughs> Sorry, I digress. I digress. <laughs> so talk about those people that are hard to love, Brian. I mean, there are people out there and I'm one of those people at times, man, there are people that are really hard to love. And I think a lot of times we live in a day and age, quite frankly, that if I don't understand why that person is the way they are, it's hard to love that person. Yeah, and I, I and uh, I've often been saying recently, the world has lost common sense, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and for a kind of a practical man as I am, um, uh, common sense was always. I, I've always felt that knowledge mixed with common sense is what creates wisdom. And uh, I can have all the knowledge in the world, but if I don't have common sense, I'm not a wise person. Correct. I could teach at, you know, professors in college have a lot of knowledge, but a lot of them don't have a lot of common sense. And so they don't have wisdom. And then you have flip side, uh, common sense without knowledge is not uh, not very helpful either but um our society is uh, it's lost common sense yeah it's for like sure. are you kidding me you what what about this can't you see just by looking at it you know really we're going to sexualize our kids and we're going to castrate our kids we're gonna we're gonna say, okay, yeah, you know, there are 40,000 different genders. Um, We want to preach science, but then when it comes to that, there is no science. And so that's frustrating. Yeah. Um, And I think this mixes with chapter two. (laughs) How do I have that righteous anger? Yes. Or that evil, evil. And, and uh, deceptive and yet love people. And I think, I, I think that's recognizing if I really love them, then I'm, I'm going to look for opportunity to love them, but also to share with them what I, what I feel, what God is saying and why they're, uh, and, and I wouldn't put it that way, but why they're walking in darkness, why they're yeah. blind. And um, and so I have to mix that righteous anger with that love that uh, says, I don't like you, but I love you because Jesus loves you and I love him. And so it's kind of like the uh, the works faith thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we don't do the works to get saved or to get points with God. We love God. And because we love him, we do those Mm -hmm. works. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how this has to happen. Because I love God, I'm going to work toward loving people and understanding them, uh, but not the other way around. Um, I'm not going to work at loving people without loving God. It has to, his love has to flow through me. And by loving people. So I've, I've been asking this question because there are a couple uh, newer groups that I haven't experienced in my life. 
And I'm, I'm asking this question, how would Jesus love these people? How would he go about loving these people? And that's the question for me. I'm like, okay, Lord, how would you love these people? And I've realized, I'm realizing this. I don't, I don't know what the answer is, Brian, but I'm realizing this. Jesus would do something. Yeah. He wouldn't just be like, oh, I love those people. He would do something. He would have a, he would do something to express his love for them. So the challenge that I would put out there, man, you want to be a man's man, express love to somebody who completely represents completely what you've rejected and, and, you know, and love that person. So that's the, you know, and that's why Christianity is not for the weak. Yeah. It's for the strong because only a man's man. That's why Jesus, when he embraced the children, children were completely ignored in society. They didn't even acknowledge, at least with a woman, they would acknowledge their presence. But with a child, they never would acknowledge their presence. They were a nuisance. And Jesus said, hey, let the children, the only one of three times he got angry was with the children. Hey, you let those children come. And so uh, he was acknowledging and expressing love to a group that was rejected and despised and and neglected. And so uh, that's a hard message for us if we want to be a man's man. So I really appreciated that. And I had a, my friend Kurt Stone once said to me, those people are not the enemy. They are held captive to the enemy. Yeah. So we have to realize that. So, hey, well, so, your, really so your, your fifth point, you, you, you kind of progress in this fifth point. It, you turn the corner a little bit, and I thought it was a cool fifth point. It was like a seventh inning stretch at a baseball game. So you told people to get wild. Men, get wild. And let me, let me explain that and I'll let you unpack it. Okay. You said, be prepared, be prepared, but embrace the wilderness. It is Jesus training field. The wilderness can be taxing both physically and spiritually. So my question, Brian, is why is the, and as, as we know, biblically, God made Adam in the wilderness and then brought him into the garden, right. but God made Eve in the garden and brought her out of the Kicked her, kicked her out in the wilderness. So, so why is the wilderness so? Why do men and they're why is the wilderness so vital to becoming a man's man? So, what are some practical things men can do to get out in touch with the wilderness and experience their inner man's man? I see the vastness of the wilderness through the prism of scripture. Hmm. So I look at Moses and David and Elijah and or and and I don't know that I wrote about all of them, but when I'm thinking of the wilderness, even Jesus, what was the reason for going to the wilderness or being uh, pursued into the wilderness or um, what was, what was behind it and why Mm -hmm. were they there? And and you could even call Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace, the wilderness, Daniel and the lion's den. Uh, And all of it was to, it, it really is pretty simple. Get us alone with God. Uh, And uh, aloneness with God, shutting off all of all of the distractions around and uh, and finding my relationship with God. I, I'm getting wild. I'm going to the wilderness because I am I am uh, isolating myself to know my God and serve my God. The- well, that's different than what we see with sin, right? Because yep. with sin, there's also isolation. So how's the difference? What's the difference between isolating ourselves in sin and isolating ourselves to hear from God? Well, um, you know, that goes back to reaping and sowing mm. uh, in Galatians that uh, what we what we plant, we plant an apple tree we, or apple seed, we get an apple tree. Uh, so it's in in uh in the kind of seed we plant, we get the kind of fruit, but we also get multiple. I call it a like and a lot. And so yeah. if I if I plant sin in my life, I'm going to reap fruit of sin. And that can take me into a wilderness because I've separated myself 
from my relationship with God. Mm. So I am in, I am in the wilderness. I am in the darkness. I am, I am wandering. If I'm disobedient, like the children of Israel, uh, in the, in the wilderness, they wandered for 40 years. Why? Because they kept rebelling. They kid, they weren't getting the point of why they were there. And, and so, uh, so yeah, I see the wilderness twofold one, but I, but I see it both as God allowing it, uh, or maybe threefold one we're escaping because we stood, stood for Christ Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and we're beat up and we're, we need, to rest and two or, or the enemy's pursuing us and two we've failed and uh, put ourselves there mm-hmm. or three, God has called us out into that spot. All three are okay. Let's meet God. Let's yeah. see what he says and, and recognize I'm here because he wants me here, whether I did it or they did it unjustly or whatever, uh, God wants me here. And so all of these guys embrace once they did embrace it. And, and we read the stories, it took them as, as long as it would take you and me. <laughs> but once they did, uh, Elijah heard the still small voice. Moses saw the burning bush. Jesus fought with the devil and overcame him. Uh, and so, uh, that that's what I see as as uh, entering the wilderness. So. Well, I think of Nebuchadnezzar, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, so the, yeah. it, it, it hit me here, and I want to talk to the guys real quick. Guys, listen. Have you been wandering in the wilderness alone for years, and you're wondering why you can't seem to get traction? Today's podcast might have just changed your life and altered the course and the trajectory of where you're heading. So guys, if, if you've put yourself in the wilderness and not God, if God has not put you in the wilderness that you're in right now, then you need to turn to God and let him lead you out. So if there's any guy listening right now, you need to turn around and follow God and let him lead you out of the wilderness. Cause there's a, there's Isaiah 30, 21 says, whether you turn to the left or the right, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way walking it. So let him lead you. So that's such a good point, man. I, I just love that get wild. Because it gives us a pause. We go, well, hold on a second, man. I'm a wild man here, you know? So that's our our sixth point in your book is, and, I, and I, this is so practical. It, it could have been number two, but putting it number six really gives us like a, uh, it locks it in a little bit. And, and guys, you, we need to know the word. Yeah. When you talked about Jesus in the wilderness, that was a battle of the word of God. Yeah. And so you talk about the temptations of, of Satan and Jesus why is knowing God's word so critical to becoming a man's man? Garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. We are computers. Uh, our brains are computers. What goes into our brain comes out. It comes out in our actions. It comes out in our, our words. We program ourselves to, uh, to act the way we do. Yeah. Uh, also, the promises of the word, I believe, and, and some would disagree with me, but I believe while God knows our thoughts and he knows our hearts, I believe we should pray vocally, yeah. uh, out loud. Um, and I know that d- demonic spirits, they don't hear our thoughts. They don't read our minds. So we must speak to them uh, out loud. And what did Jesus do when Satan tempted him? He spoke the word of God. Well, if I don't have the word of God in my mind and in my heart, then I can't speak it in those times of trial and tribulation, whether it be depression, whether it be fear. Um, I, you know, God is not. uh, So what would be my response be? God has not given me a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. No, I speak to you in Jesus' name. Fear be gone. That that's where we we have the power. I uh, would talk about depression or or mm-hmm. or or uh, 
lack of strength. Well, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I can overcome this. And, and, and we, we begin to speak the word, uh, the word, the word of uh, faith is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, the scripture says. So I have to immerse myself in the word of God. Mm -hmm. I need to meditate on Joshua is told to meditate on it day and night. Um, David said, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Uh, So all through scripture, it says, read scripture. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, and so I, I, you know, it's such a basic point, but yet we don't do it. But yep. what we flood our mind with is who will we we will become and um, and what we will will speak. And uh, he's given us the power if we'll take it in and let it come out. I often I've, I've talked to people. I, I remember uh, one gentleman that uh, had a problem with cussing. And he finally came to me and I'm trying so hard and it seems like I cuss more. And I said, well, yeah, you do. Cause you're focusing on the cussing. Yeah. And fo- fill your mind with God's word and focus on speaking his word and forget about, and if you cuss fine, just forget about it. Ask God to forgive you move on. But, but uh, don't focus on, the negative focus on the positive and watch God change you from the inside out. And uh, so that that's, uh, that's no, the word. Uh, well, and I, there's a two phrases that really bother me that I hear people using nowadays. One is my truth. Yeah. And another one is I feel, and they attach it to a, a fact or an opinion. I don't care what you feel. I care about the truth and I don't care about your truth. I care about the truth. And so the way that we know the truth, and I see this even in churches when people will come up and and they'll say this or that to me. And I'm like, well, if that's not in the Bible, it's not from God. So it's got, you know, so I weigh everything out against the word of God. I weigh my life out against the word of God. I think the man should know the word of God better than anyone in his family. And I love what you said in your book. You said, we must never water down the gospel. We must never compromise with the world. And that's so important. So the last thing that we have today, and it doesn't sound super manly, uh, but, uh, but, uh, well, cause I wrote it, I, I kind of took your book and I added this. I just thought it sounded really cool, but not manly, but it's kind of manly. So, okay. <laughs> so I'm just gonna, I, I'm going to say it's not in the book. I made this up, but okay. Brian's going to come and bail me out. So the seventh <laughs> thing that a man's man does is he taps out. In other words, he submits to God. And you said this, I believe men struggle with submission, which is so true because of how God made them. He made them to be a covering over women and children to work hard, to be a provider for his family. And so when I, when I read about submission, I'm thinking men read this, they go, well, that's the wife's job is to submit. That's not my job. So can you tell us why submission is the critical aspect of the man's man because it's recognizing that I am under authority as well. Yes. Uh, God's placed me in the position as a head, whether, uh, and for 40 or 25 here in McMinnville, I was the head pastor. And so I was a covering for my flock and, uh, and I was asking them to submit to my leadership, but I can only ask for that if I submit to my head, yeah. which is Christ. Uh, and Paul is pretty clear about that. We, unfortunately, the church's wives submit to your husbands. And wait a minute, you that's one sentence in this in a chapter of uh, Paul instructing how we should live as a Christian family. Mm -hmm. And it says the man is to love the wife as Christ loved the church. Well, he died for the church. So men can scream, submit to me, but are you laying down your life for your wife? Are are you willing to die for her? And, And not just by somebody 
shooting us in the head. But I mean, by vacuuming the carpet and doing the dishes and and caring for her if if she needs that. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And that's what submission is all about. It's the Bible also tells us submit to one another in love. Mm-hmm. So we are all to submit. And it's not a weakness. It's actually a very, very strength. I've always said if 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 you can't put your wife on a pedestal, she won't put you on one. Uh, and and uh, w- w- if I treat my wife like the Bible says to and uh, and love her the way it says to, she will honor and respect me and submit to me. And we may still have battles about it, <laughs> but <laughs> but ultimately uh, that's what it comes down to. I've submitted to Jesus. So um, I'm going to walk in his authority and I'm not going to lord it over my flock or my family as uh, being in charge. I'm recognizing that's actually a very humbling place. Oh, man. Yeah. To oversee your family. Yeah. Well, you know, when you talk about submission, that was actually a military word and it was uh, it was authority by rank. So in, in God's economy, it's God man, wife, children. And so this is, this is, a, it's just, it's not one's better or the other. It's just a, it's a, it's the way leadership has to happen. Uh, people can get all political and weird about it, but in anything successful, there's a leadership hierarchy, but yeah. you said something I want to draw out. As soon as you said it, I got a word picture. You said, is the man willing to put his wife on a pedestal? I'm going to, the picture I got was, yeah, I put her on a pedestal. She's standing on my shoulders. My shoulders are the pedestal. Hmm. So that's what the, that's what a man does is he gets, he submits to God. He puts the people he loves on his shoulders and he stands them up to at a higher level but he's the one raising them up. You know, it's, it's his shoulders. And that's how man has, God has made men. He's yeah. made us, I believe, to have broad shoulders. Jesus, the Bible says, and I think it's a first Peter three eighteen says he bore our sins on the cross. So he bore, he bore our sins. So we are to bear one another's right. And so yeah. that's so good, man. So Brian, Hey man, I really appreciate uh, you coming on today's show uh, uh, for boots on the ground guys. I just want you to consider uh, are you a man's man? In other words, which of these seven are you lacking? Have you gone all in for Jesus? Number one, do you follow Jesus? Number two, are you humble? Number three, do you love all people? Number f- number four, I'm sorry, that's number our uh, number f- next one. Are you humble? Number five, are you wild? Are you are you getting out there in the wilderness letting God? Uh, speak to your heart. Or do you know the word of God? Number six, and have you tapped out number seven? So Brian, where can these guys pick up your book? Well, it's available on uh, amazon.com uh, and uh, uh, you type in Jesus, a man's man by Brian Van Cleve. You can find it, but if, if, if you with just Jesus, a man's man. But if you type in by Brian Van Cleave, it, it'll pop right up. And uh, um, it flips around for, you know, the ratings. I don't know how that works. <laughs> so the other day it was at 600 and then it jumped to like uh, 7,000 or something. I don't know why, I don't know why that works, but that's one place. Um, if they contacted you, I, I, I wouldn't have a problem with them. Uh, get my email to them to contact me if they want one personal uh, live near in McMinnville that I could autograph for them. I'd be happy to do that. So they could contact me uh, uh, personally for the book. And those are, it's also in uh, brick and mortar stores. So it's at target and, and uh, Barnes and Noble and other, other places. So yeah, so anyways, it's pretty easy to get. <laughs> All right. Well, man, I, I sure appreciate that, Brian. And so, hey, man, thanks so much for coming on the show today. It's been great to connect with you. And then congratulations on your book. And I pray that it just uh, does great. Well, thank you, Jim. I, I appreciate you as a brother, as a friend, and uh, and what you're doing. And uh, uh, I'm just thrilled. I pray for you often. often. And, uh, and then I love the way you uh, – 
you mine these points from the book uh, for a couple of times, a couple of them, I was like, what the heck? I didn't write about that. And then it was like, <laughs> so, uh, so uh, thanks for having me on. I really, really enjoyed it. So that's awesome. God bless, man. Hey guys, I'm excited to tell you about this week's man law. Again, these man laws are supplied by you or me. And every time we use your man law, if you hit us up, we'll send you some swag. So this is a hybrid man law this week. And this week I taught my three sons, this man law early on in their childhood. Whenever you meet a man, you shake his hand and you look him in the eye and make sure that handshake is not too tight, but it's firm, not weak, soft, and limp. The rule to live by came from a friend of mine I worked at in ministry 25 years ago, Ken Goins. Ken said this, and Ken's from Mississippi. He said, never say anything behind a man's back that would hinder you from looking them in the eye when you shake their hands. So I thought those two go hand in hand. So thanks a lot, Ken. Hey, and I also want to thank my sons who listen to what I said, and they look men in the eyes, and they shake their hand with a firm grip every time they meet them. And so thanks, sons. Appreciate you guys. Respect you. And I'm proud of the men you've become. Hey, make sure you guys head on over to menandarena.org. Grab your free copy of my book, Tell Them What Great Fathers Tell Their Sons and Daughters. While you're there, click the Join the Program button. Make sure you get involved in one of our many teams that meet around the country virtually so you can become your best version. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out and be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.